Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. It's August 2020, and we're back in COVID-19 quarantine. So we join each other via Zoom to bring you another lockdown listener request. Our mysterious listener, Daniel, writes... I'm not sure if this completely fits the theme of the podcast, but I would like to recommend The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, starring Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce. It's the first old-time radio show I ever listened to, and it's still very special to me. The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes debuted on the NBC Blue Network in the fall of 1939, starring Basil Rathbone as Sherlock Holmes and Nigel Bruce as Dr. Watson. Listeners at the time were likely familiar with Rathbone and Bruce thanks to two films released earlier that year, The Hound of the Baskervilles and The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Over the next eight years, the duo appeared as Holmes and Watson in 12 additional films and more than 200 radio plays forever linking Rathbone and Bruce to Arthur Conan Doyle's iconic creations. The first four seasons of The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes were written by actor-turned-writer Edith Miser, creator of the original Sherlock Holmes radio series, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Miser initially pitched the series to NBC in 1929, but the network passed. They changed their tune a year later when Miser secured a sponsor in the form of G. Washington Coffee founded by fellow Holmesian and inventor of instant coffee, George Constant Lewis Washington. The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes ran on NBC from 1930 to 1936, starring a number of different actors in the lead role, including the man who made a career out of playing Holmes on stage, William Gillette. Miser's scripts for both series were a mix of adaptations from the established Holmes canon and her own original stories. Sadly, most of Miser's work no longer exists. In fact, Most of the New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes series was believed to be lost until 1986 when a treasure trove of recordings were discovered in the possession of a San Francisco book dealer. The recordings were meticulously restored and released on a series of cassettes by Simon & Schuster Audio Works, featuring additional background commentary by surviving cast members and producer and writer's spouses. According to a Washington Post article from 1989, the first cassette in the series featuring the unfortunate tobacconist and the Paradol Chamber sold over 30,000 copies within the first three months of its release. Impressive numbers for an old-time radio cassette. These rediscovered recordings were from the mid-1940s and featured scripts by the writing team of Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher. When Green's previous writing partner, Leslie Charteris, creator of The Saint, left to concentrate on his novels, Green recruited Boucher, an experienced writer, editor, and critic, but a newcomer to radio. That would change quickly, though. In addition to his work on the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes, Boucher contributed plots to The Adventures of Ellery Queen and The Casebook of Gregory Hood, a series he created with Dennis Green as a summer replacement for Sherlock Holmes. The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes had many sponsors over the years, including Bromo Quinine and Kremel Hair Tonic, but the most memorable was Petri Wine. Each week, announcer Knox Manning, or if you were lucky, the versatile and charming Harry Bartell, joined the retired Dr. Watson in his sitting room for an exciting story from his Baker Street days. As you might imagine, the subject of Petri wine inevitably found its way into the conversation, and the announcer would oh so seamlessly transition into a pitch for port, reminding us that Petri was the family that took time to bring you good wine. Rathbone left the radio series in 1946, the same year Universal released his final film in the Sherlock Holmes series, Dressed to Kill. Petri Wine offered Rathbone a significant increase in pay to stay on, but he declined the offer. Bruce continued as Watson for another 39 episodes, receiving top billing over Rathbone's replacement, veteran radio actor Tom Conway. Later in life, Rathbone expressed regret over playing Holmes for so long. I lost my own identity, the actor lamented. On the street, no one ever said, good morning, Basil, or good evening, Mr. Rathbone. They only said, good morning, Sherlock. A variety of actors played Holmes and Watson during the series' final years, but none were able to duplicate the chemistry shared by Rathbone and Bruce. The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes aired its final episode June 14th, 
1950. But let's not dwell on endings. Instead, return with us to the golden days of Rathbone and Bruce for The Case of the Double Zero, written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher. First broadcast, November 19th, 1945. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. This episode from the life of Sherlock Holmes will be transmitted to our men and women overseas by shortwave and through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Petri Wine brings you... Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine invite you to spend the next half hour listening to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, that master detective, Sherlock Holmes. And say, let me tell you something I found out just the other day. Steaks are really back again. Good, thick, juicy porterhouse steaks. That's for me. A thick, tender steak on the rare side, together with a glass of Petri California Burgundy. You know, Petri Burgundy is a perfect mealtime wine. And with meat or any meat dish, it's the very last word in good eating. Honestly, when you taste the wonderful flavor of that rich red Petri Burgundy, you're tasting one swell example of the art of winemaking. It's full-flavored and just about the most delicious wine that ever poured from a bottle. Try it the next time you have steak or chops, or the next time you have hamburger or pot roast. Believe me, Petri Burgundy is the best friend a good meal ever had. And now let's look in on our good friend and host, Dr. Watson. Come in, come in, come in. Ah, there you are, Mr. Bartell. Evening, Doctor. Just in time to join me in a cup of coffee. Draw up your chair, young fellow, my lad. Thank you. Ah, that's it. Well, Doctor, you told us last week that tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure takes us to the south of France. That's right, Mr. Bartell. The south of France in the year 1900. A beautiful playground bordered by the bluest of blue seas and populated with an extraordinary cross-section of cosmopolitan Europe. Rich man, poor man, beggar man, thief. All of them attracted by that Riviera paradise. All of them drawn by the magical spell of a small white ball spinning round the rim of a roulette wheel. Now, don't tell me that you and the great Sherlock Holmes were there on a gambling spree. We were not, Mr. Bartell. <laughs> At the time my story begins, we just concluded an extremely delicate mission. A mission, I may say, that... Uh, concerned the safety and good name of uh, a very prominent member of the royal family. Say, doctor, you don't mean... Uh, one story at a time, Mr. Bartell. In any event, my boy, I'm afraid that's a case about which my lips are sealed for all time. But to return to tonight's adventure, one June evening, I persuaded Holmes to accompany me to the gambling casino at Fregius, not far from Cannes, where we were staying. It wasn't quite as fashionable as a casino at Monte Carlo, but as I intended to do a little modest gambling myself, it seemed an establishment more suited to my means. As we stood there at the green baize-covered tables, the chatter of voices and the melodic chanting of the croupiers as they called the results of each spin of the wheel formed a background to a quiet conversation that Holmes and I were having. Lost again, Watson. Confounded, that number 10 must come up soon. Why not cut your losses, old fellow, and come for a stroll with me on the water? Well, just a big wig, a couple more bets, Holmes. I have a feeling that 10 is bound to come up in a minute. Watson, I believe the blood of a gambler courses through your veins. Oh, there's no harm in taking a little flutter once in a while. Why don't you risk a few? Frank, oh, so. oh, thanks you, my dear chap. The law of averages convinces me that my money is safer in my pocket. In any case, I'm a little dubious as to the integrity of this particular casino. Huh? What makes you say that? Well, you will observe that this roulette wheel has a double zero. Most continental wheels have only a single one. It would indicate that this house is extremely concerned with its percentage. Mesdames et messieurs, faites vos yeux. Oh, just two more turns of the wheel, Holmes, and I'll take that walk with you. Oh, Mrs. Gearspielen. Why do you not play from the other side of the table? 
I must always stand next to me. Hello. The trouble up there? I've placed my bet, so, so let's go and see. I ask you, so why do you play here beside me? I'm afraid I don't see any reason why I can't play wherever I... Squish, you are. You've broken my luck. Ever since you come to the table, I've done nothing but lose. Please, to move away. Well, move away yourself if you don't like my company. Heinrich, why do you not stop now? You've already lost more than we can afford. One more throw in, son. I can win it all back if only this young man will move away. Why should my husband move? He's had a bad run of luck, too. Rien ne va plus. Ah, you've lost again, Watson. Heinrich, you must stop now. I must stop inside because I've lost everything. I hope you're satisfied, Mr. American. You've broken my luck and ruined me. I hope that you and your turn will be ruined too. Heinrich! Heinrich, wait for me! I never heard such rubbish in my life. Were you listening to him, sir? I heard his last few remarks, Mr. Uh, Gilbert. Roger Gilbert. And this is my wife, Helen. How do you do? My name is Holmes, and this is my friend, Dr. Watson. How do you do? How do you do? Didn't you think his remarks were a little out of place, Doctor? Yes, I certainly did, Mrs. Gilbert. I don't see how he can possibly blame your husband for his run of bad luck. I didn't like the look on his face as he left the table, though. Have you any idea who he is? His name is Schneeman. He's staying at the same hotel as we are. I've never spoken to him, but I've heard him being paged there. Well, he shouldn't gamble unless he can afford to lose. Well, I'm losing, darling, and I can't afford it. Oh, but I can let you have more money. You know that. Oh, no, Helen, I, I may have married an heiress, but I'm not going to use her fortune to gamble with. Oh. <laughs> I'll lose my own money and then I'll quit. Mesdames and messieurs, take for Your last bit, Watson? Yes, Holmes. This time I know that number 10 is going to come up. It's got to. I've lost again, darn it. Helen, this is my bad night. Why don't you stop now, dear? Holmes, I've made 350 francs. On this throw of the wheel, old fellow, but as you've lost some 500 francs doing it, I can't say that your profits stagger me. Oh, Mr. Holmes, <laughs> I can see that you're no gambler. I'm afraid not, Mrs. I Gilbert. I didn't say that, Holmes. Uh, you may not like roulette. You've taken a good many chances in your life with long odds against you, too. Well, nevertheless, old chap, in the sense Mrs. Gilbert means it, I'm not a gambler. Oh, that's a good idea. Say, what's the commotion over there? That German woman with a crowd forming around him. Yes, yes, the wife of that man that said I ruined him. Attention! Attention! Est-ce qu'il y a un docteur dans la salle? There must be trouble. He's asking for a doctor. A doctor? Come along, then. Will you excuse me, please? Thank you. Excuse me, madame. Mon ami, il y a docteur. Monsieur, cette dame a besoin d'un docteur. What happened, madame? It is my husband. Deal? I just found him lying out in the garden. Please come with me at once, gentlemen. Uh, of course we will, madame. What seems to be the matter with him? Herr doctor, I think he is dead. lying by that tree, Doctor. Please see if you can help him. Somebody else seems to be on the scene before us. Who are you, sir? I am Monsieur Chevray, director of the casino. Do any of you know this poor man? I am his wife. Is he... Is he dead? I... I am afraid so, madame. Let me look at him. I'm a doctor. Was your husband gambling in the casino tonight, madame? Yeah, he was. Poor Heinrich. He lose everything that we have. I'm afraid he's dead, madame. Shot through the heart. Oh, to leap a cut. Suicide, Watson? Yeah, looks like it. Mm. Yes. Powder burns on the shirt front. Revolver clutched in the right hand. Fingers in a natural position. The angle of the wound settles it. Obviously self-inflicted. I missed you as you slipped out of the casino. What's wrong with him? I'm afraid he's dead, Mr. Gilbert. Yes, he committed suicide. I hope, young man, that you are satisfied. All night she brought him bad luck. He asked you to move away from him to change his luck, but no, you could not do it. Oh, Frau Schneemann, I'm terribly sorry, but I really don't see how you can blame me. I do blame you, and I also blame you, Monsieur Chevry. Me? But what have I done, madame? Why do you let a man lose all his money at your tables? Is life so cheap to you, and money so important that you cannot close the tables to someone before he's ruined? Madame, I am all sympathy for you in your tragic loss. But the casino cannot be held responsible. If your husband could not afford to gamble, then he should not come here. How are we to know the financial limitations of our, of our customers? You said that your husband lost everything you had tonight, madam. Yeah, everything. Then how do you account for this sheaf of banknotes 
in his breast pocket. Good Lord, must be several thousand francs, sir. Then he wasn't ruined. And his suicide, therefore, cannot be blamed on his losses at my casino, madame. How do you account for this money, Frau Schneemann? Well, I do not understand. Heinrich kept nothing from me. I know that he had not so much money on him when he started tonight. Uh, well, why do you all look at me like that? Is it that you think? You think... But why think she's fainted? I've got her. We must, must get her to her room. You can take her to my suite in the casino. No, let's take her to the hotel. My wife will look after her. Poor woman, she's had a dreadful shock. She can probably do with another woman's company. That's very considerate of you, Mr. Gilbert. Where are you staying? At the Hotel Creon. It's quite near here. I'll get a cabin. While I'm doing that, Watson, see if you can revive her, will you? Jesus then God. we'll take her to the Hotel Creon. Very kind of you, Mrs. Gilbert, to let us bring the poor lady into your suite. But the least I can do, in spite of what she said about Roger bringing her husband bad luck. Oh, I'm sure she'll need your help when she wakes up, Helen. Yes, I think you'll find that she'll sleep for some hours. I give her a strong sedative. Well, we were just about to have a drink, gentlemen. Do you care to join us? Oh, thank you, sir. Well, that'd be very nice, Mr. Gilbert. Roger was just telling me that quite a large sum of money was found on Herr Shaman's body, Mr. Holmes. Uh, yes, Mrs. Gilbert. Several thousand francs. It's very puzzling, Holmes. Why should a man commit suicide with so much money on him? I think the answer is obvious. He didn't. What on earth do you mean? Well, the money was placed there after he had shot himself. The banknotes were in his breast pocket, if you remember, and hardly the usual place to carry money. Though it is the easiest pocket for someone to insert it without disturbing the body. But why on earth should someone place money on him after his suicide? Prevent the casino from getting a bad name. I've heard of it being done on several similar occasions. Gives the impression that the unfortunate victim had other motives than gambling losses to account for his suicide. Wait, Scott, you mean that one of the casino employees found the body lying there and slipped the money in his breast pocket before we arrived on the scene? As you know, my dear Watson, I'm not a gambling man, but I'll lay you a hundred to one. That is what happened. Well, that's a new one. Well, here are your drinks, gentlemen. Oh, thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Say, Helen, Mr. Holmes has given me a brainwave. Another one? What is it this time, Roger? Now, I've been losing very heavily tonight. Roger, I've told you. If you need money, I'll be only... But to... I don't. I've got a scheme for making some. Oh. I'm going to gamble again tonight after dinner. If I lose, here's what I'll do. I'll stain my shirt front with red ink, walk out in the grounds, fire a shot, and lie down as though I'm dead. I'll wait for someone to come along and stuff my pockets full of banknotes. <laughs> not, not a bad idea, Mr. Gilbert. <laughs> I think it's a darn good one. What do you say, Mr. Holmes? Well, it's a whimsical one at any rate. Who knows? You might even be successful. Roger, you're not really going to do it, are you? Sure. Perhaps I'll get some of my losses back that way. <laughs> well, let's drink to it, gentlemen. At least I may have hit upon an idea of making money. Watson, you'll have to work hard at your practice when you get back to England. Your infallible system appears to be extremely fallible. And yet the fellow who told me about it said it couldn't miss. It's just a matter of doubling the stakes each time you lose, oh, and then... Oh, my dear fellow, I've been studying your system, but I can tell you a really infallible way of making money at roulette. You can? What is it? Well, own the gambling house and operate the tables yourself. The odds would be all in your favor. Oh, what a brilliant suggestion. Own the gambling house and operate the tables not gambling for tonight, Watson? It's nearly 11 o'clock. Yeah, I think so. Let's take a stroll around the other table, shall we? By the way, old fellow, the young American, Mr. Gilbert, was losing heavily again tonight. He was? I wonder if he'll try that trick that he threatened, the one with the red ink and the shot in the night. I shouldn't be at all surprised. As a matter of uh, interest, I saw him leave the tables about half an hour ago. <laughs> Here comes his wife on the arm of Monsieur Chevry, the director of the casino. Good evening, Mrs. Gilbert. Monsieur? Bonsoir, monsieur. Hello, Mr. Holmes, Dr. Watson. Monsieur Chevre is giving me a personally conducted tour of the casino. It's quite fascinating. And uh, it is quite fascinating for me to have so beautiful a woman on my arm, mademoiselle. <laughs> <laughs> I know that I am the envy of all the men in the room. Oh, stop <laughs> flattering me so much. I'm not used to it. Mrs. Gilbert, how is Frau um, Neyman? She seems much better. She wakened an hour ago and insisted on going back to her own room. I wanted her to spend the night with us in our suite, but she wouldn't hear yeah, of it. I think I should drop in and see her before I go to bed. Oh, 
You have finished the gambling for tonight, perhaps, Doctor? Uh, no, perhaps about it, Monsieur Chevry. I've had a bad run at the tables. Oh, I am so sorry. Has anyone seen Roger? He left the tables about half an hour ago, Mrs. Gilbert. After doing as I did and losing quite heavily. So he lost again, did he? I wonder if he'll try that uh, new system he was talking about. <laughs> we were just discussing that possibility ourselves, Mrs. Gilbert. Mrs. Gilbert! Mrs. Gilbert! Rashnaman, you shouldn't have left your hotel, you know. It is too late to worry for me, Herr Doctor. It is for Mrs. Gilbert now that you should worry. What do you mean, madame? Well, I went back just now to where poor Heinrich died. And there, lying in the grass, I saw another body. I was too shocked to go too close. But I am quite sure that I recognize your husband, Mrs. Gilbert. Oh, Dr. Watson, she's ruined Roger's trick. And he'll have taken fright and bolted by the time we get there. Possibly. Well, so let's go at once and find out, shall we? He, he hasn't gone. He's, he's still lying there. It's a most convincing spectacle. That red ink really does look like blood. Yes. And blood sometimes looks like red ink. Mr. Gilbert. Roger, get up. The joke's spoiled. Roger, get up. I'm afraid that's impossible, Mrs. Gilbert. He's dead. Dr. Watson's story will be continued in just a second, which is all the time I need to tell you that... The easiest way I know to transform a simple meal into a feast is to serve that meal together with Petri California Sauterne. Petri Sauterne is a delicate white wine that's the perfect companion for chicken or turkey. Turkey, ah yes, turkey and Petri Sauterne. That's the heart of any Thanksgiving dinner. Look, why not make this Thanksgiving dinner the best one you ever had? Give it the air of a banquet. Serve it with Petri Sauterne. And when you buy that Sauterne or any wine for your Thanksgiving dinner, whatever you do, look for the letters P-E-T-R-I. Because a Petri wine is always a good wine. Well, Doctor, so the young American's joke turned out to be another tragedy. Yes, Mr. Bartell. The poor fellow was lying there dead with a bullet wound in the heart and a great splash of blood staining the whiteness of his shirt front. What happened next? Monsieur Chevry, director of the casino, took the distraught widow away from the scene while Holmes and I examined the body closely. Within a few minutes, we were joined by Inspector uh, Ganivet of the French police. As we stood there in the moonlight, the sounds of music could be heard from the casino. It was hard to believe that two men had died in that lovely garden since the moon had risen. <laughs> Monsieur Holmes, you and Dr. Watson have concluded your examination. Yes, Inspector Ganivet. Will you favor me with your observations? You say that you are certain that this is not another suicide? I'm sure of it, Inspector. Look at the wound. The bullet entered the body at a direct right angle, whereas a self-inflicted shot is always fired obliquely. Yes, that is so. Then uh, you suggest that this man was shot from above as he lay on the ground pretending to be dead. I'm convinced of it. Why, Monsieur Holmes? Well, for two reasons. Though it's impossible to be sure without a laboratory test, I'm certain that beneath those blood stains are stains of red ink. Look for yourself, Inspector. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed it does look like it. What is your other reason for being certain that this man was shot as he lay here pretending dead? I show him the banknotes, Watson. Uh, here you are, Inspector. We found them stuffed in his breast pocket. So, banknotes with a bullet hole through the middle of them. Very illuminating. Uh, tell me, gentlemen, how many people knew of this, uh, this little plot you have told me about, this plan of the dead man's to pretend to be shot? Just three people, Inspector, Dr. Watson, myself, and Mrs. Gilbert. Hello, then the answer is obvious. You and your friend are innocent. It must be the wife who killed him. No one else knew of the plot. No, I'm not so sure of that. Frau Schneemann, the dead German's widow, was in the next room when Gilbert told us about his plan. She might have heard, though I could swear that she was asleep. I gave her a very strong sleeping draft. From what you have told me of her husband's suicide, she might easily have had a motive for murdering this oh, man. Oh, come, 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 gentlemen. Surely it's obvious who murdered Mr. Gilbert? Who, Monsieur Holmes? Well, it's certainly one of the two widows. Since there seems to be some doubt in your minds, I suggest we return to the casino. I can promise you the answer to your question within a very few minutes. <laughs>
Monsieur Chevrolet. Now that we're all assembled in your office, I shall sit down quietly and let Inspector Ganivet conduct his examination. No, 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 Monsieur Holmes. No, you have handled the case so far. Please to cons- continue it to the end. Yes, Monsieur Holmes. I should appreciate it. We <laughs> have it at the casino. Very well, gentlemen. It won't take me long. Frosch Neyman. Yeah, Herr Holmes. Uh, what time did you leave your hotel tonight? Well, I do not know what time it was. Well, what made you leave it? Well, I could not sleep. I knew that they had taken poor Heinrich's body away, but I felt that I must walk back there. It was the last place I saw him alive. How close did you come to Mr. Gilbert's body when you saw it lying there? Oh, close enough to see who it was. Then I ran into the casino to tell his wife I knew what had happened. How did you know? You say you uh, didn't come close to the body. I could tell by every line of the body as it lay there. I could tell because I knew that poor Heinrich's death would not be avenged. Thank you, Frau Schneemann. That will be all you may go. Monsieur Holmes, she has no alibi. Surely you should stop her. If I'm to conduct this investigation, I must do it my own way. Pardon, Monsieur Holmes. Please continue. Uh, You may go, Frau Schneemann. Mrs. Gilbert? Yes, Mr. Holmes. Where were you prior to our meeting in the casino tonight, just before we discovered your husband's body? After I left the hotel, I walked over here along the seafront. Can anyone verify that statement? I suppose not. I didn't meet anyone that I knew. And what did you do when you arrived at the casino? I played a little chemin d'affaire. A few moments later, Monsieur Chevrolet came over to the table and asked if he might escort me over the club. Ten minutes after that, we walked into you and Dr. Watson. That is quite true, Monsieur Holmes. I can swear to it. Thank you, Mrs. Gilbert. I'm sorry to distress you with these questions. You may go. I'll wait outside, Mr. Holmes. I must know what happened. Wait for me there, madame. I shall join you in a few minutes and escort you home. Ah, well, another suspect with a poor alibi, alibi, eh, Gallivet? I must say, Monsieur Holmes, your methods puzzle me. It seems to me that both those women should be watched. Yes, I agree with the inspector, Holmes. Please don't worry, inspector. I've asked two of your plainclothes men to keep an eye on the ladies. And now, Monsieur Chevray, I'd like to ask you a few questions. Ask me any questions you wish, Monsieur Holmes. Thank you. You will agree that it is the custom of the casino to put money on the bodies of suicides after their death to give the impression that gambling uh, gambling losses were not responsible for the tragedy well i i do not think come now chevre i know that is a fact as well as you do exactly now on those rather gruesome occasions whose responsibility is it to secrete the money yours or do you entrust the matter to an underling i do it myself i see did you place the money on herr schneemann tonight yes monsieur i did and did you also perform the same service on the body of Mr. Gilbert? No. I knew nothing of that death until the German lady, Frau Schneemann, came running into the casino. Excuse me, interrupting, Monsieur. Uh, of course, Inspector. What is it? I think that you are wasting time. It is obvious that Madame Gilbert committed the crime. She knew of her husband's plot. She had no alibi, and she had the motive. For is not uh, <laughs> marriage itself the greatest of all motives for murder? Oh, my dear, Inspector. How very cynical. Madame Gilbert did not kill her husband. I know it. And what is your opinion, Watson? Well, that German woman, she had no alibi either. And remember, she was half mad with, with grief. Mr. Chevrolet, you say that you know Mrs. Gilbert is not guilty. How do you know? I was with her myself at the time the murder was committed. Oh, indeed. How very interesting. And what time was the murder committed? Well, it, it was... It, it was... Our investigations have never established what time the murder was committed, Monsieur Chevrolet. I'm afraid you've walked into my trap. You've given yourself away. Great, Scott Chevrolet, it was you. Chevrolet, I've known you a good many years, and this is going to be a hard thing to do. I am going to arrest you. Oh, no, you are not, Delivery. Put down that revolver, sir. Do not be frightened, Doctor. I am not going to shoot you. Chevrolet, why did you murder Roger Gilbert tonight? Surely you know that too, Monsieur Holmes. Because I am in love with his wife. She's young, beautiful, and rich. It did not occur to me until I saw the young fool lying there tonight pretending to be dead. In my profession, it is natural that I should carry a revolver. What was simpler? Mr. Gilbert gave me the perfect opportunity. I, I could not resist it. Put down that revolver, Chevrolet. Why are you all so frightened? Surely you know how I am going to use it this time. I think so, monsieur. But it's a coward's way out. What an unperceptive remark. For such a perceptive man. No. No, all my life I have been a gambler. 
I gambled tonight for the highest stakes of all, and... And I lost. No. No, I'm not afraid to pay for my losses. Au revoir, monsieur! Extraordinary case, Holmes. I never suspected Chevrolet. And I, old chap, suspected him from the beginning. Well, I wasn't the only one who was stupid anyway. Inspector Ganivet thought it was the wife. True. Very puzzling conclusion for a detective inspector to arrive at. Oh, it seemed logical enough to me at the no, time. No, 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 my dear Watson. Cold logic should have told you otherwise. Roger Gilbert had been losing heavily and had planned this hoax. He obviously had no money on him. Therefore, the money was planted in his pocket by Chevrolet. After he shot him? No, my dear fellow. Before. Before? The bullet hole through the banknotes provided that. Now, uh, had the money been put there innocently, Gilbert would have, um, well, you know, come back to life as soon as the person placing it there had left. He would not have remained lying on the ground for a murderer to find him. And Chevrolet must have bent over him as he lay there, placed the money in his breast pocket, and then fired. Precisely, Watson. Well, Holmes, I must say you solved it very neatly. You've told Inspector... Ganivet, that you wanted no credit in the case. Naturally, uh, publicity would be unfavorable. If you remember, no one is supposed to know that we're in the south of France. <laughs> I'm certain that the inspector learned a few tips about detection tonight. Possibly, old fellow. <laughs> and I hope that uh, you have learned a few things about gambling. How do you mean, Holmes? Well, you're backing the wrong color. Hmm? A gambler is usually superstitious, and superstition... Well, I should have told you what color to follow tonight. I still don't understand you, Holmes. I was playing number ten. Exactly. Number ten is black. You should have followed a red color tonight, old fellow. The color of red ink. Red ink. And blood. Say, Doctor, that was a swell story. I didn't know you liked to play roulette. Well, you know, I, I figured out a system for roulette. It's like yours. Uh, every time you lose, you double your money and keep doubling until you win. Oh, it's a great system, Mr. Bartell. There's only one thing wrong with it. What's that? If you lose, you go broke before you win. <laughs> look, look, look. Take, take my advice. Don't gamble. You can't beat the laws of chance. Uh, but suppose I bet on a sure thing. Like what, for instance? Oh, like the fact that Petri wine is always good wine. It is, you know. Because the Petri family has been making wine for generations. They've been handing down from father to son, from father to son, the art of turning luscious, sun-ripened grapes into delicious, fragrant wine. Ever since the Petri family started their business way back in the 1800s, they've been perfecting the art of winemaking. That's why Petri wine is always good wine. The Petri family took time to bring you good wine. So no matter what type of wine you prefer, why not take a few seconds of your time to look for the letters P-E-T-R-I. They spell delicious wine, Petri wine. Well, Dr. Watson, what new Sherlock Holmes story are you going to tell us next week? Next week, Mr. Bartell, I'm going to tell you of a strange adventure that Sherlock Holmes and I had when we were in Stratford-on-Avon many years ago. It concerns an actor, a mysterious boating accident... And several dead butterflies. It sounds good, Doctor. I'll see you then. Oh, fine, but now, now, don't forget, next week we're going to broadcast our program from the Paramount Theatre in Hollywood for the Victory Loan Drive. So if any of our friends are going to be in Hollywood, we'd love to see them there. Just buy a Victory Bond at any store or bank on Hollywood Boulevard, and in return, you will be given your ticket of admission. Better hurry up, though, before all the seats are gone. Let's really buy lots of those Victory Bonds. Let's finish the job. Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure is written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and was suggested by an incident in the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story, A Study in Scarlet. Music is by Dean Fossler. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. This is Harry Bartell saying goodnight for the Petri family. 
Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studio. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. That was The Case of the Double Zero from The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that was a listener request that came to us from Daniel. Daniel, I can't thank you enough, man. I love me The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes a lot. (laughs) And I was with you, as you said in your email, Daniel, that said, I'm not sure this fits your format. I'm not sure if you can do this. And that's the reason I never brought it to the table in our years of doing this podcast, because I was like, yeah, that's not going to work with what we do and what we talk about. So I was really glad to throw you under the bus instead of having it be my recommendation. So thank you, Daniel. Yeah, I honestly think if it weren't for specifically these Simon and Schuster releases on cassette in the late 80s, I wouldn't be here doing this podcast. It's what rejuvenated my childhood love of old time radio as an adult. I was in high school when they came out and I collected all of them and got me extremely excited about old time radio again. I didn't discover these until I met Joshua Scrimshaw because you are a big Sherlock Holmes fan. And I have found such great joy in telling you the versions of Sherlock Holmes that I love that make you crazy. So I was like, oh, I saw the, the Iron Man Sherlock Holmes. I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> Robert Downey Jr., right. And I was like, oh, aren't they great? And, you know, and I watch you know, those jaw muscles on Joshua start to grind. Like, yeah. <laughs> but what happened was is I, I did discover more Sherlock Holmes than I knew and had previously done after meeting Joshua and watched all these things. And then I started listening to these. And uh, I quickly found out a couple things. One, I love them. Two, only love them with Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce because they are Sherlock and Watson because of those movies, the 12 movies they released. I also watched They're forever those two. So when Conway played it or anybody else played, it, I just, I don't like them. But in the intro, Joshua, he said something really interesting about his regret to playing Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, man, he is Sherlock Holmes. Bob You're the guy Denver. who walks down the street saying, hey, Sherlock. <laughs> right. Bob Denver is Gilligan. You know, like there's no getting away from it. I feel bad for the guy because I have seen Basil Rathbone in a number of other movies. And he's a really good actor. He's a gifted, wonderful actor. And he is forever linked to Sherlock Holmes. But yeah, that's my experience with it. And I listen to one almost every night. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, I have never heard any of this radio series before in my life, but the movies with uh, Rathbone and Bruce, you know, that's what Sherlock Holmes and Watson is to me. And everything else is just another version of it, which I enjoy, but that's the original. You like those movies, Tim? I love them, yes. I'm going to confess that I like The Hound of the Baskervilles a lot, not a fan of the others. And I'll tell you why I love The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes so much, is that I think this radio series does an amazing job melding the best aspects of the film versions of Holmes and Watson with the Arthur Conan Doyle versions of Holmes and Watson. I really do object to the portrayal of Watson in the movies as a bumbling idiot. I feel like it really affects Sherlock Holmes because if an idiot man-child is the one who's impressed by his abilities, it doesn't do much to make Holmes seem brilliant. I was just watching uh, Dress to Kill. Love it. Which I think is just a terrible one. <laughs> there's a there's a scene where the villains have come into 221B Baker Street and just ravaged the whole room looking for some music boxes. And it turns out Sherlock Holmes has hid a music box in a biscuit tin. And Watson's reaction is just wide-eyed amazement. He cannot believe that a a smaller object can fit into a larger object. And Holmes literally has to walk him through the process. He goes, remove the top of the tin, and Bruce just stares at him, (laughs) boggle-eyed, removes it, and Holmes is like, take out the top biscuits. And he's like, it's the music box. It's like he doesn't even have object permanence. He's like (laughs) a toddler. That's the one with Angie Dickinson in it, right? That's the right movie I'm thinking of. (laughs) Yes, that dress to kill. Yes. (laughs) 
I then you must love the Iron Man Sherlock Holmes because the Watson in that is much more competent. Let's keep this podcast about old time radio. <laughs> <laughs> they called him Hotson on the set, as I understand. Oh. Uh, anyway, I love how this series takes the very charming, endearing, comedic qualities of Watson and smooths those out into eccentricities instead of idiocy. And he's still capable of helping Holmes like he was in the books and right. short stories. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the movies, Watson is incompetent. And that is my first exposure to Sherlock Holmes. And so I've always assumed my whole life that that was the intent, having never actually sat down and read a Sherlock Holmes book, because that would require me to read. Uh, <laughs> I had no idea until meeting you that that was not the intent of Doyle to have him portrayed that way. And you're right. And an entire generation and beyond assume Watson to be a bumbling fool. So I have some questions for you folks who know the series maybe better. On the one hand, the series in a sort of technical way seems like this is a premier elite series. It's got Hollywood stars recorded in a Hollywood studio. And we sounded like it had a studio audience. But at the same time, the organ music seemed really small scale and it seemed kind of like, well, just smaller scale than other radio shows, even at the time, I think. Am I wrong on that? Or I can never pinpoint if that was ever recorded in front of a live studio audience or if that is... Oh, it was. So that isn't a recording of an audience clapping? No, if you hear an audience, not all of them were, but if you hear an audience, that is a live studio audience. Okay. Uh, it's a great question, too. Maybe it's just going for the simplicity of the music. I mean, that's how I direct things. Uh, you say, you want an organ or do you want a whole orchestra? And I think, oh, a whole orchestra. That sounds like a lot of work. Could I have the guy with the organ, please? You know, like, and that's how I talk when I direct. I'm sure some uh, listeners who are, are more on the historical side of old time radio can answer this more accurately. But what I assume is that a full orchestra is extremely big budget radio. Not just like there was a low budget and then everyone had an orchestra. I think that's like your suspense, Mercury Theater in the in, Air. It seemed in every other way to be this big premiere show. Mm -hmm. But I keep mean, in it, mind, those Sherlock Holmes movies were extremely low budget at the time. They did really well, but those weren't lavish productions, particularly toward the end. They went from quality, low-cost movies to real B-ones. In your sorry. opinion. <laughs> we can go back to lavishing praise on Holmes now. I'm sorry. No, no, it's a really good question. It could also be, you know, it didn't need it. I said that earlier, but think of the money they saved and how much more money they put in their pockets without a big orchestra. I don't know. And Josh was right. Maybe somebody knows. So, yeah, I have a, a deep love for this radio series. Some are better than others. And that's what we should talk about now. <laughs> I want to say one last thing about the pairing of Rathbone and Bruce, particularly on audio. I don't think it's a given that because they were successful on screen, they would also be successful on audio. But whether it was intentional in their casting for the film or not, their distinct voices and the contrast of those voices are great for audio. The clipped, yeah. sharp tones of Rathbone and then Bruce's mumbling in the background and yep. huffy, breathy vocalizations are just beautiful contrast to one another and distinguish their characters immediately. Absolutely. And I think there could have been different actors who made great Holmes and Watson on the screen that would not have translated so well to audio as well. Like Iron Man and the Hot Guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about this particular episode. There's a lot to choose from. If you even just narrow it down to Basil and Nigel on this series, did you make this choice for him or did he make this choice? Did you choose uh, this one, Josh? Daniel threw out two suggestions, The Case of the Double Zero and Colonel Warburton's Madness. I like both, but I like uh, The Case of the Double Zero a lot more. So I went with this one. So I've never heard this one, but I, I've got, you know, 40 or 60 of them that I have heard. So I was really amazed that he happened to pick one I hadn't listened to yet. I thought for sure it would be one. I love this series. Not so much this particular episode. It's fine. There are others that kept me more on the edge of my seat as to what's going on. Was I alone in thinking when this one started, is Holmes going to meet James Bond here? Is that what's going to happen? <laughs> it's a great audio setting to have him at this casino. Just the soundscape sure. alone, the murmur of voices, the roulette wheel, the calls of the croupier. It is gorgeous throughout from... Uh, yes sound point of view. 
answer this for me, somebody. The name of it is double zero, and there's a lot of attention at the beginning to there's two zeros on this roulette wheel. That's not normal. And then um, that never uh, comes into play again. It's the entire conclusion of the <laughs> episode in that Holmes was right from the beginning. He does not trust the honesty right. of this gambling establishment because uh, yes. it's already um, has the games rigged yes. in the favor of the house. I get that, but it's not a direct relationship to- Yeah, the that's and why it's... I like it so much. <laughs> <laughs> and it's two deaths. Oh, thank you, Tim. Thank you for going back and rewriting things for them. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> but it points back to Holmes where he just has to walk into a place and kind of sniff the air and he knows exactly what's up. It is a difficult episode for people, I'm not going to mention names, but people who gamble from time to time. Uh, <laughs> There's nothing worse than that feeling of, oh, no, I am in deep. What have I done? <laughs> and there's a lot of that going on. No one's winning at all. And so I did have that visceral reaction to, oh, God, I just need 10 more dollars and <laughs> I can win it all back. I have no urge to gamble whatsoever. It just seems like the stupidest thing in the world. No offense, Eric. <laughs> I'm not talking about me. Some guy told me about that. I didn't think of it until we were talking just now, but in my hunkered down uh, quarantine TV watching, I've been watching uh, CSI on Hulu, which is all murder in Vegas. Yeah. It didn't even occur to me like, oh yeah, you get killed when you gamble. That's just what happens. <laughs> Casinos are littered with dead bodies, of course. <laughs> um, just a gambling thing. So uh, the odds are always against you, but there are things you can gamble on where eventually it has to go to you. It has to. For example, this is a Minnesota thing, but there's things that you can gamble on in bars called pull tabs. It is a certain amount in a box. As the box goes down, you know the, the, what money's in there, and you know eventually someone will hit it. So that's a different mentality. Here's what I'm getting at. I have never, ever, ever understood the roulette wheel because the roulette wheel isn't just improbable. There is a possibility of never. It may never hit a number that you've picked. It could go on for hypothetically years and never land on the number 10. So I've never understood gambling on roulette. Like pick a number, cross your fingers. There's, you know, there's other forms of gambling where, Yes, there's still a risk, but yeah, but there's eventually there has to be a winner. Yeah, you know, I can condense everything you just said down into a simpler sentence for me. It's like, I don't understand why people shoot themselves in both feet when they can just shoot themselves in one. <laughs> <laughs> You're still taking money that is yours yeah. and just giving it away on the chance of getting more back. Welcome to Business 101, in a sense. <laughs> but anyway, the point being, that don't you guys see what I'm saying though about roulette? Roulette is weird. Like I would never play roulette. I hesitate to try to entice you. Like, no, you'd really like roulette. <laughs> it's never worth the money for us. I mean, like there's right. no bet so small, like <laughs> two cents. That like, no, I could keep that two cents. <laughs> I can be enticed quickly, too quickly. <laughs> All right, so. Let's talk about this episode. Here's another thing that I did not know happened and I find fascinating. I didn't know that if you killed yourself in a casino, <laughs> that they will come in and slip money into your pocket so that they don't look bad. I think that guy, uh, I forget his name, had it exactly right. Well, then I'm going to try this ploy. I'm going to try to kill myself and see if Which I can get some money. One of the things I love about this episode and one of the reasons I, I chose it is I just think that whole concept is so compelling because it all seems absurd, yet in the context of gambling and in the context of the desperation makes a lot of sense. Both the casino putting the money in someone's pocket and some guy who's married to an heiress and really doesn't care about anything thinks, hey, I can play dead and get money. I mean, that seems like a Bugs Bunny scheme. Um, <laughs> but the way it's laid out, you go, that could really work. Like they make it seem plausible. I love that he or comes up whimsical with as home. Whimsical, there. yes. And they all laugh, ha ha. And he goes, no, I'm serious. I'm going to do it. And at that point, nobody says, yeah, hold on. Really? That's not a great plan. Don't do that. No, they all go, yeah. Okay. 
And then when he's losing and he leaves, they're like, oh, maybe he's doing the thing. Where <laughs> he's faking a suicide because that can't possibly get him in any trouble. Those are bad friends and a bad wife. The fact that this is the second guy on the same night doing this and they still put the money in really suggests that this happens a lot. <laughs> Yeah. The double zero, man. <laughs> I would be walking around the casino looking for people who have killed themselves and checking the <laughs> breast pocket. The wife is interesting because she doesn't seem that attached to this guy. After he's killed, she doesn't seem that upset by it. And so some of it, I think, is to create suspects out of a very small pool, which is a weakness of all of these radio mysteries. Because a couple months ago... For one of our Zoom performances, we did an adaptation of an Agatha Christie short story. When I was working on adapting it, I tried to put all the suspects from the short story in, and there just isn't enough room in 30 minutes. Right. Without all those suspects, it becomes very clear. And I'm Mm -hmm. not just criticizing this episode. That's in almost all the Sherlock Holmes episodes and all of the mystery episodes on old-time radio. It's the least obvious person of three suspects. Right. That's a time problem. Yeah, there's no voice differentiation problem. There's just only so many characters you can cram into audio in 30 minutes and make sure everybody knows who is who. Yeah, there are too many French voices in this one for me. (laughs) I do like pushing the boundaries, like who is really the least likely person? I thought the first victim, if he killed the guy, like that would be pretty (laughs) slick. Well, I thought for sure that the first guy and his wife had faked his death to set him up to kill him somehow. That's what I thought was going on. That Holmes had killed him and like, yeah, suicide, clearly. (laughs) The final episode of the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. (laughs) Holmes loses it. (laughs) Sherlock Holmes is found naked and raving in a casino in France. (laughs) I just, overall, it wasn't a nail biter by any stretch. I thought the... Oh, see, I don't find any of the Sherlock Holmes nail biters. This is comfort food. It's the relationship between Holmes and Watson and the dialogue. Um, they're all cozy, sleepy Victorian mysteries. Yeah. Um, this one, I love uh, Roger because he's such the flippant American. Yeah. I love the moment because you're supposed to like him when he says, oh, I married an heiress, but I'm not going to use your money to gamble. I'll use my own as if that's a sacrifice because basically what he's saying, I'll throw all my money away and still have all yours to live on. I'm so generous and noble. <laughs> Every time she said, I got plenty of money. As a gambling person, that's the last person you need next to you in a room. <laughs> Sweetie, can I use your credit card? Nope. (laughs) There are a handful, Joshua, of these Sherlock Holmes that do have a little more excitement and suspense to them than this. I I can't remember the names of any of them. One is there probably are. I think it's one of those cases of you and I looking for different things out of a script. I just love the premise. The idea of someone killing a guy who's already playing dead just seems like a delicious, ingenious murder setup. I think some of us with Sherlock Holmes spend our lives in search of another hound of the Baskervilles, <laughs> you know, cause that is such yeah. a edge of your seat, terrifying mystery, you know, and I love everything about it. And it doesn't venture down that road. The Sherlock Holmes stories very often. One interesting thing to point out, and I don't know if you've noticed this, Eric, about the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes and uh, Rathbone in specific. He's a great actor. I love him, but he flubs a line almost every single episode. It is a challenge to find an episode where he doesn't stumble or outright say the wrong word and have to go back. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. I don't bring it up to rag on Rathbone because he's a great actor, but it illustrates what a particular skill set was required to be able to just effortlessly walk through a 30 minute script being broadcast live and not mess up a single line. And, And we just take that for granted. Thank you for bringing that up. Think about how many old-time radio shows we listen to, and when we hear a flub, it jars us because it's so rare. It's, mm-hmm. There's two in this episode by the same guy. That man should have been fired. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, any other final thoughts, gentlemen? Anything else I, that jumped out at you? I want to say one thing about Petri Wine because I, I love those commercials a lot. Um, I particularly like Harry Bartell. His performance as the shill is just really great. <laughs> but I love their tagline of Petri Wine. It's always good wine. It's such an undersell. It's not great, <laughs> but it's not bad. It's a good wine. <laughs> After three glasses, 
They're yeah. all the same. Yeah. That should be yeah. the tagline. If you like meat, you'll <laughs> like Petri wine. <laughs> you know when meat gets stuck in your throat? Petri wine, yeah, it'll get it out of your throat. <laughs> this is just one of these things that I like to imagine in my head that I know is not true. But at the end of every episode, Watson gives a few teasing elements from the next story. Like this time he says, you know, it concerns an actor, a mysterious boating accident and several dead butterflies. And I like <laughs> to think that Bruce just made those up on the spot. <laughs> and Green and Boucher just were like, crap. <laughs> That's a now we got to work all that into the script next week. That's a great game. I would love if we did that and you guys just improvised next week and we had to write a script based on that. I like to be like with a, a gun and somebody who was shot and some evidence. <laughs> gotcha. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Let's send it to the vote. Let's start with Tim. I, I lean a little your direction in this one, Eric. Rathbone and Bruce are the highlights and the reason that it is absolutely worth listening to. Uh, and it really stands the test of time. The story itself is fun and has some interesting twist to it, but if it weren't for Rathbone and Bruce in it, it probably would not have as much going for it. Well, obviously it wouldn't, but it, they hold it up. Yeah, that's how I feel. I love this series. I love them. I, As I said, I listen to one of these almost every night. Out of the many I've heard, this is not one of the best, but I still think it stands the test of time. I think the most interesting thing that I've learned in this is that fascinating piece of information about how these were lost forever until some guy found them in his bookstore. I just love that story so much. Uh, there's so many radio shows out there missing. And then we just pray that someday somebody's moving something goes, oh my God, there they all are. There's all the missing whatever. So I love that part of this. Stands the test of time, not a classic and not a classic even of this series, but absolutely worth listening to. There's nothing terrible about it. It's like Petri wine. It's good. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> That'll be one of our rankings. It's Petri wine of radio shows. Yeah. I mean, yeah, listen to it with meat. <laughs> <laughs> so I obviously think this series is a radio classic. Rathbone and Bruce are a classic. I think we run into some problems with mystery shows like this in the format of our podcast, because I think we are primed to consider classics as something that breaks a mold, that blows our mind. And I think that's fair, but a lot of these mystery shows were designed to just be a comfortable ride. Right. I re-listened to a bunch of these uh, before doing this podcast, and all of them to me are kind of like this. It's just different trappings that are interesting or exciting. Uh, maybe Moriarty shows up, and from a nerd point of view, that's exciting, but I'm amazed at the consistency of quality. There aren't any terrible ones, even though there aren't any like thing on the formal board of the new adventures of Sherlock. Right. Right. Which redefines mystery right. writing by any means. But yeah, it definitely stands the test of time. Well, uh, it's no Iron Man and the hot guy. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that we fail to mention about the series is how amazing they fit the sponsor in every single show at the beginning. <laughs> it got to the point in some of them. They started relying, Watson saying, well, isn't, isn't it time for you to start talking about the sponsor? Shouldn't you mention the sponsor? <laughs> oh, yes, you're going to go off and talk about the sponsor for a while. That opening and then yeah. incorporating that into that conversation is awesome. Just the framework of going to Watson's house and meeting him and having him tell you these stories. A, it just puts you in this, again, comfort zone that you're sitting there hearing these stories and also really nicely duplicates that first person narration yeah. of the book. So that's part of the charm too. Did I mention I like these? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I'll stop talking now. <laughs> Tim, tell him stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home of this podcast. You can leave comments on individual episodes there. You can send us a message. You can link to our social media pages, and there you can talk to other fans of the show and express your ideas, read their ideas, complain. That's what the internet's for. <laughs> <laughs> you can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. We have a site full of members-only 
podcast for you to listen to. We have Secrets of the Mysterious Old Radio filled with really weird radio shows that we listen to and discuss, as well as Cliffhangers of Doom. And we are currently working our way through the 10-part Adventures by More Serial City of the Dead. So all those can be yours for a simple monthly donation. I'll stop now, but you get the idea. (laughs) (laughs) You can also... Uh, we do live shows. Uh, we used to do them on stage. Now we're on a holding pattern until we can go back on stage, but we're still doing the shows with Park Square Theater. If you go to parksquaretheater.org, you can buy tickets where we are doing original work now where we record them and do all the production. And then we, once you buy the ticket, you listen to them. And then we come in for a Q&A session about our original work. Parksquaretheater.org, listen to some of our shows. Uh, we'll be there with you uh, on Zoom, and uh, please, we got one coming up in September uh, that will be sci-fi. That's what we're doing in September, some sci-fi original works, so we're very excited about that. And again, at some point, um, we'll actually be standing on a stage again. <laughs> That's what I keep telling myself. Hey, what are we doing next? Ooh, next is a pick by me because no one else picked something, so I did. Uh, And that is an episode of Black Mass entitled The Ash Tree. Until then... Petri Wine brings you... Iron Man, all jets of place, he's like and 